Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Raziel and I am the host of this show where I get to interview Olympic athletes and hopefuls on their story and path to the games. So today, very, very cool guest. We have Dr. Lauren Tashman. She used to be an Olympic hopeful, um, equestrian, but she is now a mental performance coach, works directly with the Canadian softball team, the national team. And uh, she gets into everything that she did, her life up to this point, which was incredible and everything that she's been able to do and how she's done it, um, what it was like being an equestrian um, and trying to get to the Olympics and, and being on that circuit for a, a period of her life. And now what she does as a mental performance coach, how she works directly with athletes and how she's able to help them um, be more successful by maintaining the mental side of the game, which we all know is, if not more than 50%, 50% of the game. Um, so a lot of fun talking to Dr. Lauren. Uh, she was so cool. So I hope you guys enjoy this. But first, have you ever wanted to launch your own podcast but didn't know where to start? I mean, you listen to mine, right? And you probably this is probably not the only one you listen to. And Everybody thinks that they can do it, and believe me, you can. And now it's easier than ever because I've partnered with launchingpodcasts.com, a step-by-step -step video course to easily launch your first podcast. I've used this information in the course to launch my podcast. You're listening to it right now, and I've seen amazing results. Why did I do it? Uh, I wanted to grow my brand. I wanted to build new relationships, and I wanted to become a thought leader. And in my opinion, I have at least two of those down. Becoming a thought leader, I think, is on its way, and I'm excited. And now you can too. Head over to launchingpodcast.com and get $50 off by using promo code Mike at checkout. That's launchingpodcast.com, promo code Mike at checkout for $50 off. Without further ado, here is Dr. Lauren Tashman. All right, today, special guest, Lauren Tashman. Olympic hopeful and current mental performance coach Lauren was born October 19th, 1980 in Huntington, Long Island. Started competitive show jumping at the age of eight, where she competed nationally for 13 years. She graduated from the College of New Jersey on her undergrad, but has a master's and PhD from Florida State. So I, I apologize, Dr. Lauren Tashman. Currently is, as I said, a mental performance coach and directly works with athletes and the Canadian softball team. Lauren, thanks for hanging out with us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to chat. The pleasure is all mine. I promise you that. So if you don't mind, let's get into, let's go to the beginning of the story. I always like, um, other than Pulp Fiction, I think most stories start best at the beginning. So if you don't <laughs> mind telling us a little bit about, you know, growing up in Long Island, moving to New Jersey, getting into competitive show jumping, how does that all kind of occur naturally and organically? Yeah, it was all my dad. So um, I, yeah, I grew up in Long Island, both of my parents, my mom actually grew up in New York City, my dad grew up in Long Island, both were um, working in New York City, and then my dad's job got moved to New Jersey. So funny story about how I ended up finding this out, we were actually skiing. So when I was when I was growing up, we shared a ski house with a couple of their friends and we were skiing and I was on the chairlift with my aunt um, and they had already told me uh, that we were moving to New Jersey, but I didn't know anything about it. I was six at the time. So, you know, it just sounds like a cool thing. Um, and we're on the ski lift. My aunt has a very funny personality and she starts telling me about how, um, why are you moving to New Jersey? Don't you know New Jersey is the armpit of America? <laughs> so by the time we got off the ski lift, I was hysterically crying my parents immediately started yelling at her and that was how I kind of knew about New Jersey and what my future might hold. But um, that's, up that's awesome. I'm going to be that <laughs> uncle one day too. So, so I, I aspire to be your aunt, I guess. It, it was great. Yeah. Um, so we ended up moving to just outside of the Princeton area and yeah, my dad, I was eight. My dad came home one day and he's kind of always one of those people that likes to try new things can never be active enough can't be sitting still. 
he came home and he's like, yeah, so what about riding horses? How do you guys feel about that? Um, and yeah. So, I mean, usually, right. Like the kid is the one that's like, mm -hmm. I want a pony, but yeah. what, what girl is going to turn down the, the idea of riding a pony? So it just so happened that there was a farm in our town that, um, a Grand Prix rider was the coach at. Mm -hmm. He was there, um, kind of full time and, and competed, uh, out of there. Um, and that's how I got connected. So immediately, right. You kind of get, I'm not just at another farm, but I'm at a farm with, uh, you know, a guy who competes and travels nationally. So that's how I got connected and, um, did it kind of full-time right from the start. So we immediately got horses. Um, I, the, the school bus used to drop me off after school at the barns so that I was there. Mm -hmm. I'd be there for hours riding, taking lessons, getting my homework done there. My parents would show up after commuting. My mom commuted from uh, the city working at the World Trade Center and my dad commuted from Philly. They'd come, they'd take their lessons or ride their horses at night and then we'd go home after that. So Man, that is a busy day. Jeez. <laughs> It really was. During the summers, I got to ride my bike there. And, you know, that was at the time where kids actually like, you know, were allowed to kind yeah. of do things on their own. So yeah, leave the house. Yeah. yeah. So I would ride my bike and be stuck there all day uh, riding and doing things. So I got immersed into it very quickly. Um, got to travel all over the country and um, kind of see it at a high level. And that really, obviously, kind of, I, I don't even remember having like the thought process of, oh, this is going to be my life goal. It just mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. it was just yeah, I mean, I was on. Yeah, that young, usually when you're thrown into something, it's just whatever your parents say to do. And it's cool that it was kind of a family thing, too. It's like your yeah. parents would then go there and ride horses later at night. So that, that like kind of adds that extra little layer. Um, they also probably got you excited. We would compete at horse shows together. Oh, yeah. that's adorable. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. That's so cute. Was yeah. it like a family competition where one family would face off against the other? Uh, no, but my dad is extremely competitive. So he mm -hmm. used to like to throw it in my face when he did better than I did. <laughs> hey, so. eight-year-old Lauren, look what I did today. <laughs> it was not the dad that was like, oh, I'm so proud. You know, yes, he was proud of me, but he was more like, I got the blue ribbon and you didn't. So yeah. That's awesome. Oh, man. Maybe I aspire to be your dad, too. You have some funny family members. I love that. Yeah, um, so what was it? What was it about show jumping? I mean, I understand, again, like you were kind of thrown into it and, and you were just kind of told to do it. But what did you love about it so much? Because obviously there was something that you had to enjoy, right? This might sound really cheesy. And I think Perfect. probably maybe against what people would think. Like it was never about the competition for me. Like, yes, I liked that. And I liked doing well. It was more about the horses. I loved the uh, horses. <laughs> and I do actually get that from my dad too. We uh -huh. kind of joke some, with him sometimes that he likes animals more than he likes people. And mm -hmm. I kind of in the same way. Like I loved the horses. They are amazing animals. Um, and so that, that piece for me was kind of the, the, the part that I loved. And I think I also found out about myself fairly early on that it wasn't about winning. It was about learning and just becoming like a math, like master at something, right. Mm -hmm. Mastering something and trying to be the better, the best version of it you can and trying to do more and more and be better and better was what Ten. really fueled me. 10,000 hours, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love it. And one thing most people don't realize um, about New Jersey, it is kind of a hotbed for horse riding. I mean, the U.S. equestrian team is located right in Bedminster, which I don't know what, what town were you? You were right outside Princeton. So it's got to be what, like 35, 45 minutes from where the, you know, 
It was. We used to go there actually several times um, because at the time George Morris was there and he would put on clinics and and all that. So it was kind of cool when you were a kid to get to go to those things and and there. So we were located first in Pennington, New Jersey, which is not that far. And then um, when I was in, I think I was a sophomore in high school when we actually got our own farm. So we moved to Lambertville, New Jersey um, and had our own farm there. Oh my goodness. I love Lambertville. It's adorable. It's a nice little town right across the river from New Hope, which is a cool town. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Look at that. Um, so that, that is fantastic. That's great to know. And I mean, again, like I, it's funny cause I live in New Jersey, so I know all these places. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I grew up in Hunterdon County, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Look yeah, at that. Went to a lot um, of horse shows there. Yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> uh, my family lives next to two horse farms, one on okay. both sides. And actually we live next to, um, I don't know if he currently is, but he used to be the veterinarian of the U.S. equestrian team, okay. um, which was really cool. He was our one house over neighbor. So that was always cool to, to see him and talk to him about stuff. But um, so obviously you did show drumming for a really long time. What like what was the reason you stopped? Where did where did kind of the the boat? kind of end I guess the so those the coach that I rode with there and his girlfriend um long story short they ended up having some troubles with the guy that owned the farm and um the horses that he rode so they ended up leaving and I went I had to switch coaches and rode um at another farm for a really long time with some great coaches there and then ended up switching coaches again right before, I don't remember the exact timeline, but I remember it was kind of, I think want to say that the tail end of high school. So somewhere before my freshman year of college, that coach that I was with um, at the time, um, my dad had just, he had to stop riding because of some back problems. He had to have back surgery, had to stop riding. The horse that he had at the time was great. Um, he was, he would basically go through a jump if you couldn't go over it for you. So Mm -hmm. at that time I was starting to ride at kind of a, do like the, um, what's called the jumpers, which is all about kind of speed, you know, more tricky courses, things like that. We are starting to jump, um, higher jumps. So the kind of junior jumpers at, at that, um, stage is, you know, four foot six, jumps five foot spread. So you're starting to get into a lot of bigger jumps, a lot more kind of tricky courses. So um, I was riding his horse at the time, which was great to learn on. We didn't win a lot, but it gave me a lot of confidence because I knew that he was, with the exception of water, he didn't like that too much. But other than that, he was going to power through it for you uh, no matter what happened. So um, had some kind of fairly good success with him, but yeah, again, wasn't going to be too competitive on him. So my coach at that time said, you know, we really need to find your horse that you can win on. Now you've had enough time kind of getting comfortable at this level. You now need to win. So he had us try out a horse that his brother was selling. Um, I wasn't completely confident on it when I tried it out. Trying out horses is like, if you don't know a very strange thing, you basically kind of get like usually like an hour or two with them you know that they've like maybe been drugged, run through the ground before that so that they are, you know, like nice and calm for you. (laughs) Um, And then you have to kind of decide like, am I going to do this or am I not going to do this? So um, I tried this horse. I wasn't completely confident on it, but I knew what my coach was saying. So we decided to, uh, to buy the horse. And then I spent that entire summer not getting around a single course of jumps. I literally fell off every time I tried to jump that horse. A couple of them were really bad. We were up in Lake Placid for a horse show that happens there every summer. 
and I had fallen off the day before during a, an event. And so my coach had me get up at like the crack of dawn the next morning to go practice. And I fell off and landed on my back. And I it took me, a, I refused to kind of get up for a few minutes because I was very worried. Like I just kind of felt like, hmm, that didn't feel right. I landed kind of flat on my back and I was really actually afraid that I was going to try and move and not be able to. Um, but I was fine. Um, and then we went to a horse show in the Catskills and this was probably the most traumatic experience I've ever had. So um, I'm now have had several kind of classes under my belt of not getting around, you know, a course of jumps on this horse and so I'm not completely confident. It's a speed class that I'm about to go into. So it's all about, you know, who can go the fastest. So I'm a little worried about that. Um, and then over in another ring, um, the my coach has someone else that he's teaching warming up on a horse that he owns to go into that ring and the horse literally falls down dead in the schooling area like just had a heart attack and died with the girl on it uh. <laughs> yeah so if you don't know anything about what happens rigor mortis immediately kind of sets in for horses they're obviously huge animals so they have to the way this horse show is set up they kind of have, they stop the whole horse show they bring in like a crane and a flatbed truck to take this horse out like it and you know okay so i started saying i love animals right so this mm -hmm. is like super super traumatic for me mm -hmm. and I knew that horse i'd ridden it it was the sweetest animal so I'm like all upset then i'm all worried about going in so finally the show gets back going again i go into the ring third jump of the course law of physics we're going really fast the horse stops i keep going and i go face first into the jump kind of breaking it with my face so mm. i'm sitting there on the ground uh coughing up blood waiting for the emts to come make sure that i'm okay my coach is trying to make me feel better and i'm literally like laughing ca coughing up blood um and then that was it i was like I i'm i'm done like i'm i'm done i can't do this anymore and i told my mom was there with me and i was like i want to go home i'm done <laughs> so we went home um and i took some time off and i at that that was the first time that i really considered actually quitting um, I had black eyes, <laughs> you know, it's like getting close to my friend, like actually showing up to college for the first time. And I was like, okay, great. So I'm going to be that girl that shows up on the first day mm -hmm. <laughs> as a freshman with black eyes and a broken nose. This is awesome. So, um, eventually went back into it and tried for three more years, but I never got that confidence back. Mm -hmm. I just never was able to find it. So, Yeah. Uh, it was kind of a, a tough experience. Switch coaches, switch horses. I ended up uh, finding a great horse that was amazing, um, but just never, I mm -hmm. never could, I can just never could figure it out. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it was between junior and senior year of college, um, I was trying another horse again. And this time we got two days to try it. First day was great. Second day it rained. So we were inside and the horse stopped and I literally had a nervous breakdown. Like I mm. lost it, mm -hmm. drove home, hysterically crying, calling my parents saying like, I'm done. I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't want to end up like Christopher Reeves. Like mm. it was just this Whoa. whole, like. <laughs> Where did Superman come from? Man. I, yeah, like it was obviously, it had gotten really into my uh -huh. head, this whole idea of the danger of what I was doing. And not that I hadn't seen that growing up, but I had never, Mm -hmm. had always operated underneath the surface and now I just couldn't push it back down. So that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's super intense. I mean, just going back to uh, every 
action has an equal and opposite reaction. And if it's in your face into a jump, that's probably not too fun. Um, so is this like a huge driver to like, do you, or do you use yourself almost as like a, a motivation to help others? Is that like just to transition into what you're doing now? Is that these four or five years, it sounds like three, four or five years, however long it was, is that like a huge reason that you then started and tried and, and have and become a mental performance coach is is your story really the reason why or was it something else no I think that's absolutely it. I didn't even know sports psychology existed I just I feel extremely lucky and I know that sounds weird after the story I just told but mm -hmm. I feel lucky to be where I am because I, I you know I had a professor in college who actually taught a sports psych class that I couldn't take because I actually was started out as a business major because life was going to be mm -hmm, own, mm -hmm. own a riding business, you know, try to compete, go to the Olympics. Um, and so I switched to psychology because I really liked it when I first uh, kind of was exposed to it. And she taught a sports psych class. I didn't even know she did. Um, I couldn't take it because of the kind of rotation of it. But she was like, hey, you know, this might be of interest to you. Why don't you look into this field? Like it's an actual field that exists. Um, and I think if you ask the majority of us in the field, you'll find that we're like, you know, failed athletes in some <laughs> way, trying to then use that to help others. So it's absolutely something that drives it, drives me. Um, I couldn't figure it out for myself and I didn't have the ability to. Um, and I just want to make sure that I help others really kind of pursue their dreams, achieve their dreams. And, you know, this crazy thing that is our minds help use it leverage it to their advantage rather than have it use them and, and not feel in control of things. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's fantastic. So what, what exactly does a mental performance coach do? Give us, <laughs> give us the nice breakdown. There's always a question I get as soon as people yeah. hear what I do, they're like, what is that? Mm -hmm. um, we're not therapists. So there's kind of, there's two branches in the field. There are what is actually termed sports psychologists. Those are people that are licensed psychologists and have the ability to do, to kind of focus on mental health. Uh, plus the sports psych piece. And then there's us that are mental performance coaches that really focus on, I would say, two things. One is working with individuals on understanding their mindset, understanding the role that the mind plays in performance in general, but also for them individually. Um, and then working on trying to um, have kind of an optimal mindset, if you will, um, and, and deal with the things that come up throughout performance. Um, and then the second kind of thing, set of things that we work on is more team dynamic, team culture. Um, and that's been a lot of what I focus on in my, mm -hmm. in my career is that side of things, really helping people um, intentionally design cultures, work on dynamic and work on, you know, achieving things together and dealing with all the challenges that come into play of, of working as a team. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. And yeah, obviously, you know, you do work with some pretty impressive teams, which we'll get to in a little bit, but what, um, no, what about being a mental, like, have you ever kind of, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but have you, have you ever considered like, well, what if at this point in time, you know, going back to your story, if I had someone like myself, um, would things have been different? And, and have you ever kind of analyzed what you had and what was going wrong and kind of ways that you could have fixed it? Not on a, like a dwelling point yeah. of view, but as a, okay, this is what, now that I know, this is how I would have helped this person, this person being you. Yeah. And what's, well, there's two sides to that. One is you can't help but go back and be like, oh, wow, now course. all yeah. this stuff I know about mm -hmm. confidence and all mm -hmm. these and mindset, like I, if I could go back, certainly, certainly. 
you know, things probably would have gone a different direction. And I actually tried to go back a couple times and fell off every single time. Uh And the last time that that happened, I my mom was with me again. And I was like, are we, can we agree that something's telling me this isn't the right path? (laughs) Like, (laughs) um, so yeah, it's inevitable that you look back and you kind of see the ways that this could have helped you. It's also the different side of that. It's also funny to look back and see how a lot of times we naturally use this stuff without knowing it. So Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to teach undergrad and grad for seven and a half years. And I always used to tell my students that when I was young, I thought I was crazy. And there were a lot of things that I didn't tell people about what I did mm-hmm. to try and, and kind of be a good writer. So one of the things was um, I did a lot of imagery without knowing what imagery was. And that's kind of a very, it's a very, one of the most common tools you will hear some, a mental performance coach talking about, right. Or an athlete talking about as something that they use um, in their performance. And, I did it naturally as a kid, you know, back when I was growing up, there were no cell phones, no game, you know, games and all that stuff. So when I was in the car being driven around, I used to imagine myself, I didn't start telling the story till still till I understood that it was actually mm-hmm. a legit thing I was doing. Um, I used to imagine that I was on a horse next to the car, jumping the mailboxes. Huh. And it's uh-huh. funny looking back because I was always told that I was really good at finding the distance to jumps. And now knowing what I know about the imagery, I'm like, it was because of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I remember using it to like going into classes. So before you um, go into a class, you get to walk the course like on foot with your coach and you kind of plan it out. Right. And then you go into the schooling area, jump some practice jumps, get ready. And then you're waiting for your turn. And I used to spend that time when I was waiting imagining myself going around the course doing it as we had practiced like as we had talked it through so I I naturally used a lot of uh, you know some of the stuff I have no idea where I got it from it's not that anybody ever at least that I remember you know told me hey this is a strategy to use um so I I think I used a lot of it but yeah and then I look back and I'm like if I could have just known this other stuff (laughs) then maybe it would be different Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I mean, clearly, again, you know, as you said, something was telling you to stop doing what you were doing. But at the same time, something was telling you to continue to do kind of what you were doing just in a different sense and to help others. So I think that that's really cool. Uh, The universe is weird, man. And I love it. And it always kind of pushes us in the right direction if you just listen to it. And clearly you did. And it's been working out. So I like that. And even I feel like this, you know, looking back at my whole career starting from when I was eight, I always feel like I extremely fortunate for the opportunities that were put in front of me. And Mm -hmm. so when I was at Florida State, um, I was able to spend, I think it was three years working on a a research project uh, by that was led by Anders Ericsson and a couple of other people in my field, David Eccles and and Paul Ward and um, looking at expert performance. Now we weren't studying it in sport. We were studying it in uh, critical care nurses and SWAT police officers. But, you know, Anders is the person that's known mostly through Malcolm Gladwell of that whole deliberate practice, 10 years, 10,000 hours, which is not about the hours. It's about the quality of investment and really intentionally trying to improve um, and get better. And so it's really more, you know, kind of uh, on the the quality side, but also the nurture side, you know, the resources that a person has or doesn't have certainly play a role. And I feel like I've always been extremely lucky in that sense to, okay, the first, you know, my first at eight years old, I wasn't just put into just another farm. I was put into a farm that had a coach that was a Grand Prix rider, right? Like Mm -hmm. 
you know, and all these kind of things. I was, I was at a school that had a sports psych class that I mm -hmm. didn't even know about and was told about. Right. And so all these kind of things that happen along that, yeah, I really do feel kind of pull you in the direction that you're meant to be in. And I, I certainly would have loved the path that I was on of riding and, and kind of pursuing my own athletic career and goals. But I, I love even more what I'm doing now and helping others do that stuff. I love it. I love it. So what, um, what was the drive behind starting Align Performance and what made you say like, okay, I want to not help another business do this. I want to do this on my own and kind of have my own idea of what I want to do moving forward. Yeah. So I, right out of grad school, I got a job at Barry University in Miami Shores, Florida. They have, it's a division two um, athletic program and they have, um, a master's in sport exercise and performance psychology. So I had the, then we started an undergrad program as well. Um, so I had the opportunity to teach there for seven and a half years and work with the athletic department and work with my master's students on work, you know, training them through working mm -hmm. with the athletic department. So um, at that time, I actually started kind of part-time consulting business there. Um, and that was actually how I started working with the Canadian team was at the time, um, one of the athletes, Megan Timpf, was our assistant coach for softball at Barry. Mm -hmm. She was an athlete on the team. I started working with her individually and then got connected to the, the coach on the team through, that, through there. So I had my kind of part-time business there and was only doing it part-time just because obviously, you know, being a full-time professor is a, and working with athletics is kind of like two jobs already in mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I was, I loved teaching. I still do it part-time. Um, I like giving back to my field in that way and kind of trying to uh, do my part to grow my fields. But I also, I'm more passionate about the, the doing side. I mm -hmm. really like helping people. I like doing the work. Um, and I wanted to get back up here, um, in the Northeast. Um, so it just felt honestly like the Why? right time. Why did you want to come back up here? The weather is terrible, Lauren. I don't get it. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> yeah. kidding, kidding. And I moved in winter too. So it was like, <laughs> oh, 14 years in Florida. Now you get to be back in the winter. Hi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so, um, well, no, I mean, I love the energy up here. I also mm -hmm. just, I'm a Northeastern at heart, you know, I, I'm a New Yorker at heart. So, um, getting back, I just felt like the right timing. It felt like the right timing in my career to, to quite honestly take a chance on myself. You know, can I, can I do this for a living? Um, and so that's why I did it. So I came up here. Um, uh, and when was that? What, what year was that? It was just a, a little over a year ago, December, 2017, uh, started. A, thank you. Yeah. The start started the line in February. Um, and that name, it was actually, so my original business was in Florida was called inspire performance consulting. And it kind of felt like the right thing at the time when I started it, that that's what I was trying to do. Inspire people to kind of, you know, develop themselves mm -hmm. unpack their mindset, that type of thing. As I've, ebbed in my, you know, kind of advanced in my career, a line actually came out more from, I really think that's what we're trying to do, whether individuals or as a team, we're really trying to align with our values, align with our goals. And so that was kind of the, the, the opportunity to rebrand, if you will, presented mm -hmm. itself. Yeah. Very so cool. Here, and it was also an opportunity to extend outside of sport. So here in New York, I don't just work with, with athletes and, and teams and coaches. I work with um, people in business. I've done some workshops for lawyers, um, work a lot on kind of like the female empowerment side of things. I do a female, a, a, a mastermind group for 
um, women at Golf and Body New York City, um, work with companies, especially small companies on, you know, team culture, team dynamics. So it's been fun to kind of dancers, fun to kind of step outside of the realm of sport and do a variety of things and bring kind of sports psych and kind of that high performance approach to uh, areas outside of sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of gets you going a little bit too, right? Like it's one thing, like I love sports and I want to work in it, but every once in a while, it's nice to talk to a CEO of some company or some startup that's doing something very interesting because yeah. you can pull from ideas that they have and conversations you've had with them that maybe you haven't had with the athletes, but can still be applicable over and, and vice versa. So I think it's always good to kind of branch out a little bit, but um, I think that it's super cool and you know, you're doing some awesome stuff and you know, obviously we're going to do anything we can to help you out in the process. So a um, couple last things. One, you, you touched upon it a little bit, but I definitely want to talk about working with the Canadian softball team. First, mm-hmm. do you feel like a traitor at all? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <Everybody>. <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They're good people. Our neighbors to the north. Come on. No, um, so like what, what do you like about working with the Canadian softball team so much? And kind of, again, like I want to make the connection a little bit. You were an Olympic hopeful when you were a rider and now you're working with a potentially Olympic team. I don't think they've qualified yet as of recording, if this I'm not summer, mistaken. We have the yeah. Olympic qualifier. We have Pan Ams mm-hmm. and the Olympic qualifier this yeah. summer. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's possible. So it's very, very possible that you'll kind of be one degree away, which is still super cool. So like, what's that like in understanding that you, you play a pretty integral role in, you know, their performance on the field. Do you ever like feel that way about it? Or, or like, how does it, what is it like working with such a high performing team, especially on like an Olympic level? It is. It's a, I feel it as a, it's a exciting, but you all, you also then are forced to remember the immense responsibility that you have, right. In terms of what is actually at stake for these athletes. Not that that's not the case for everybody I work with, right. Mm-hmm. Even your, yeah. your collegiate athlete, your thought that there's something at stake for them, right. Your business professional, there's always something at stake. That's part of why working on mindset is so important, right. Or mm-hmm. working on team dynamics is so important is because there are real things at stake, but at this level, you know, everybody gets caught up in kind of like the coolness of the Olympic level, right? They watch it every four years. They read these stories about Olympic athletes. But one thing Anders Ericsson always talked about was, you know, what he called the iceberg illusion, that you only see what you really can see, the top Mm -hmm. stuff. You don't see all the stuff underneath the surface in terms of what it's like to really compete at that level, what things they kind of put on hold. You know, we have several athletes that are putting education or careers on hold, families on hold, or trying to not manage a fa- having a family at the same time as doing this um, or career at the same time. So there's a lot at stake for these, these young women and they have an exciting opportunity in front of them. And as much as I believe there's two sides, there's always two sides of everything, right? It's mm-hmm. an exciting opportunity and there's also a lot uh, riding on it with a lot of pressure that if I can help a little bit with helping them to achieve their goals and go, get close to their goals and really, um, you know, kind of achieve what they're capable of, um, then that's, you know, something that I, I take really seriously. And I'm ex- really grateful to have that opportunity to help them do that. Yeah. That is, I love that. That is just super cool. And just again, being able to make that connection. So here's the million dollar, well, actually probably like three, $4,000 question. If they make the games, do you get to go? I am not sure yet. One of the interesting things that people don't know about the Olympics is the feature of accreditation, right? So there's, I think this has come up maybe in some of your conversations. I listened to some of the you know, podcasts that, you know, a delegation only has a certain number mm-hmm. of people they can send and a certain number of accreditations, certain number of full accreditations versus part-time. So, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, 
integrated, if you will, that's kind of what we call it in terms of the team. Like I, I travel with them a lot. Um, I've worked with them for, I think this is the sixth year now that I've worked with them. So um, I would suspect that I, that I will um, be helping in some way. Um, but also one of the important things to remember about kind of the work that I do or people in my field do is we're not trying to be on the front lines, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to be the people behind the scenes. Yeah helping other people be on the front lines. And also that idea of, you know, at at the end of the day, we are truly trying to help like work ourselves out of a job, right? Mm -hmm. Where we help people learn this stuff about their minds and how to self-regulate so that they can go off and do these amazing things. And then maybe come back to us and say, you know, Hey, this is what's going on. What do you think about that? Right. But we're really trying to make sure that they can learn this stuff and and self-regulate. So if I'm able to be there, then then sure, it'd be awesome. Um, be pretty cool. They're able to be there. I'm I'm more concerned with that. Yes. I want them to be there. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, first they need to be there, and then <laughs> yeah. you have the opportunity to be there. So let's just focus on them. And you know, if one of them's nice enough to say, "Hey, you can have one of my tickets," <laughs> that would be pretty darn cool. So I think that you know the work you're doing with them. I think it's interesting. It's been the last six years too, considering you know 2016. It was kind of wishy washy if. Um, softball was going to be the Olympics. So I think that it's really interesting that you've actually been able to see them through that process. And I guess that's one other question I'll ask is like, what was that like with the understanding with, no, it wasn't going to be in 2016, but there's a shot for 2020, especially with how, um, how, how much they love softball in Japan. Like it was, it was not like a guarantee, but everyone felt pretty good about it from at least what I've heard. So what was it like kind of getting the girls and the ladies, the women ready for the the possibility that it could or could not. And then when it did happen, what were some of those conversations like? Yeah. So I started with the team in 2014 and, you know, they were an international sport at that level, obviously, you know, competing at at an international level, just the, the Olympics wasn't on the table. Mm -hmm. The last time softball was in the Olympics was in 08. um, And then it was taken out. So they were always competing at a high level, but it's different in a way, right? Because yes, it matters, but there isn't kind of this looming Olympic thing. Bringing the Olympics in brings in a lot of other things that you don't necessarily think about right now. You know, it was always pressure filled, but there's more pressure. There's more kind of um, things going on in terms of what we have to do and what we have to do to kind of get funding and, you know, the goals and having like a a four year quadrennial plan in place and assessing and all that stuff. So it was a big transition for all of us, um, coaches included, staff Mm -hmm. included to try and, you know, figure out how do we go from being a very high level international team. And we, you know, they, they've been now, fairly consistently um since then number three in the world so they're 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 doing good but now we have this kind of shift that we Mm -hmm. have to take into consideration so it was really we started planning for it way back then um Mm -hmm. uh back in 2016 they had it was nice that in 2016 the world championships were actually held in canada um at a place called softball city um just outside of vancouver in the in the surrey area so um, it was nice for them to be able to get that news then to compete there, knowing that, you know, that competition and how they did there was a, a lot going to contribute to what happened moving forward for them mm-hmm. should the news come back that it's going to be in the Olympics. So, and then since then, um, it's been a lot of preparation, a lot of planning, a lot of preparation. Um, we've been to Japan now three or four times, um, uh, you know, tried to to continuously improve upon all the things that we're doing and uh my job is a lot on the 
the obviously mental performance side, but also on the team culture side. So really trying to evolve the culture and, and help them um, create and sustain a culture that is going to support, you know, the goals that they have. Mm-hmm. No, I, I love that. I think that that's super, super interesting. Cause again, I don't want to diminish the value of world championships. I don't want to diminish yeah. the value of these other, you know, competitions, but at the same time, we all are very aware that the, with the Olympics comes a billion people watching, you know, and like mm-hmm. um, not that many people are going to watch the world championships of softball unfortunately um even though this last one was insane oh my goodness with the united states winning however they did was just ridiculous but um you know i just think it's it's awesome that you've been able to figure out and have that plan in place for a while now just so that you can make sure um that if it did and it did happen um that you'd be ready to go yeah and it is a mindset shift right because you know when you don't have the olympics at play it's a little at least every sport is different in terms of how things are set up at that level right but i think for softball it's been a lot kind of it was kind of a year-to-year mindset right like you have the events that you have that year and you're trying to do really that well that year then you kind of go away from each other and then you come back right this is not pro sport so they spend a lot of time apart right what's called decentralized Uh, then you come back together and you're trying to do really well that summer you know and then you go away whereas you know having this kind of four year thing of you're trying all these things leading up to this big event has to there has to be a mindset shift there has to be in a kind of approach shift um so just really thinking kind of clearly about that of having the short short game in mind but also the long game and really balancing those two things mm-hmm. as a staff but also you know as, a, as a, a team but also helping them do that individually yeah that's got to be difficult as well and just kind of managing all their personalities and then as you said you're if i'm not mistaken one of your favorite things about what you do is kind of creating that culture and making sure everyone buys in and understands why it's necessary because i think that's half the battle so i yeah. love it lauren dr Lauren, this is just incredible <laughs> stuff. I love it. So last thing I do want to talk about, just going back to Align a little bit, like what are some of your goals? You've been doing Align for a year, but you've pretty much been doing the business a little bit longer than that. Um, you know, so, so what are some of your goals with moving up here? Did you have any anything specific in mind that you wanted to make sure happened? And I'm not saying, oh, in the next five years, do you want to do X, Y, and Z, but just like general goals moving forward that you're going to try and accomplish over, you know, just the, the, the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously growing the business is number one, not from a you know, business standpoint, but just more like I'm really passionate about doing this work and I want to try and help as many people as I mm-hmm. can in as many different sectors as I can. And I'm also kind of, it's funny, I'm an, an extroverted introvert, I would say. So I'm not like, you know, that crazy people person, but I do, I love building relationships with people. The majority of clients that I've had over the years in this long career of doing this, even through grad school, are, are long-term relationships where I've worked with them for years. And I, I really enjoy building those relationships, investing in building them, um, and seeing how I can help over the long term and just be a support, a resource. Um, so I would say that's kind of what I'm focused really on now is just getting to know people up here. Because even though I grew up here, I've been away for 14 years. So mm-hmm. it, it was kind of like moving to a new city where you mm-hmm. don't know anybody. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and my, and my, a lot of my family is kind of not around here either. So I have a sister in Long Island and a, an aunt in uh, Brooklyn. But in terms of you know rest of my family, colleagues, it was kind of like moving to a new city. So just really trying to... Um, get to meet more people and get out there. And like I said, uh, 
stay in sport because I love sport and I love working in sport, um, but also see what other areas I can help. Not that there aren't good resources, let's say for people in business, right? Like they have executive coaches and all that, and those people do amazing work. But I think that people from my field come at things from a different lens and mm -hmm. a different, you know, background and expertise, and maybe can provide, you know, some different like a different way of working through things that I think can be really valuable for that group, especially on the team side, you know, being an individual is, and, and navigating your mindset and your performance alone is hard. Being a member of a team, even harder. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so we know that that's kind of a huge feature in sport, but it's also a huge feature of the conversation now in terms of the workplace, you know, workplace engagement, operating as a team, um, all those things are in, insanely important. And I love doing that work. I love helping people um, understand themselves better um, and perform better themselves. I even more so, I would say, love helping people understand each other. Um, and work effectively together um, and deal with the ebbs and flows of things that affect the dynamic and the culture and, uh, and those types of things. So probably not as clear of an answer as some people would expect because they always, you know, I think people think like we have insane goals. We're always talking about goal setting. So she's going to have these laid out goals. Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily. It's more just trying to enjoy the journey a little bit and see what, where, how this can grow and how I can help people. Absolutely. I love it, Lauren. That's fantastic. So thank you so much. One more time, Dr. Lauren Tashman, Olympic hopeful, current mental performance coach, Align Performance. Um, every, all your socials are going to be in the show notes, all your email address, um, if that's okay. Um, your, your website, everything's going to be in there. So if anyone is interested, please go check that out. But Lauren, sincerely, sincerely appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. I oh, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Dr. Lauren Tashman. I know I didn't start calling her doctor till the very end of the episode, but it's always more fun. Um, I mean, she worked for it. She got it. I might as well use it, right? So Lauren was incredible. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please uh, check out her website, her socials, everything. It's all going to be in the show notes. So I hope you guys do, guys and girls, click on that and learn a little bit more about what she has going on on her end. Please follow us at ourathletes.us on Instagram, at ourathletesusa on Twitter, and www.ourathletes.us for the website. Check out what we're doing on the business side a little bit more. Don't forget, thanks and shout out to launchingpodcasts.com. Step-by-step um, -step video course to easily, easily launch a podcast. And we all know that you want to do it. So why not, right? Get $50 off using promo code Mike at checkout. That's $50 off at launchingpodcast.com using promo code Mike at checkout. And if you could, please rate, review, comment, share, subscribe, do whatever you got to do to get this in the eyes and the ears of more people because I think that these stories are incredible. Um, five stars on iTunes would be sincerely appreciated. So if there's one thing you do today to help someone out, well, maybe don't do that, but I'm, I'm sure there's a lot better things you could do, but I would really, really like it. So thank you so much. Sincerely appreciate it. I hope you have a wonderful day.